Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Second hour, Monday edition, we're recapping the fun football weekend and all the headlines. OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. And uh, coming up, Brad Crawford will join us from 24-7 Sports. Discuss bowl season, the transfer portal, and much more. Christmas Big- week is here, Hutton. Yes, it is. Isn't that are, crazy? Are you done with your shopping? This is one that really snuck up on me. Usually I feel like it goes a little slower. I, I finished up most of my shopping today before the show, but I still have a couple things to so, get. On a scale of like really, really difficult to super easy with the, the young girls that you have for what they wanted for Christmas, difficult or easy to find? I will be completely and bluntly honest right now. You don't know. I have not done a second worth of shopping <laughs> for either one of my daughters. My wife does. Well, you all know what they that. want, though, right? She has to go through and show me a couple nights before Christmas. Here's what you're oh, getting your kids. Gotcha. And she shows so I know what they're getting. <laughs> now, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone watching, but okay, okay. there will be probably a two to three hour process every Christmas Eve that I have to put something together sure. that's going to be unveiled. And I know that I'm going to be, I believe, putting together a dollhouse a do- okay. for, a guest for home. my youngest daughter um, at some point. But other than that, it's very. I, I shop for Angie, and then I, I need to take Evie and Lucy to buy something for their mom. Gotcha. So that's the hardest part. Is it sounds funny, like my daughters have a social calendar, but they really do. <laughs> I, we have to sync up our schedules so I can actually have time to take both daughters to a store to pick out something. For their mom. And I've not done that yet. So I finished up what I needed to for stocking stuffers, a few things today, and then I'll do the rest later. I went to a Target today, and it's clear now is when people are starting to get out of school and kids are around. And I mean, it is, it's like every Christmas movie you've ever witnessed in any shopping scene. I walked in there and I was amazed at the amount, not just of car traffic, but the foot traffic just trying to get through the cars to get into Target. Yeah, I uh, was so insane. Growing up, my, I, me, my brother, and my sister, we would all go shopping on Black Friday with my aunt. We would hit up different malls, and it was awesome because we would pick out like exactly what we wanted, and we had to wait for it, but we had an idea about what we would get, and then we could also shop for everyone else, and I enjoyed that. I hate being in a mall or in a store right now this time of year like i it, i guess it gives me some type of anxiety but i'm it's like a goal for of me to just get out of there as quickly as possible and when i can't i'm i get livid i get really upset and i try not to let myself get to that level but then stupid people allow me to reach that level based on how they're acting around other people on shopping for christmas it makes no sense and I, you know, I, I just want to get in and out and not have to have a ton of conversation and, and not have to wait in line for an hour. And they, they, they yeah, don't, there's I, I don't not like, enough people working where you can avoid that. I don't like being approached by people all the time when I'm shopping in a store. 
And also, I like the process of being in the mall and just walking around. And I'm happy to do it with anyone that knows where they're going. Yeah. And I can just kind of stroll around with them and look around. And Instead it's fun of surveying. To listen to the music and smell all the smells and taste all the food and do all that. It's fun in a shopping mall. But if, I'm, if I have a task and I am tasked to go to a store and get something, I'm going right to that aisle and finding it. Or you need to tell me where you like to shop and where I'm going to get something. So if I'm going to uh, a popular spot here around Nashville, Green Hills Mall. If I'm going to Green Hills Mall, I need to know what store do you like. I'm going into that store, and I can shop in that store. But Hutton, if you told me, go to Green Hills Mall and find something. Find something. No way. I mean, I would be overwhelmed by the amount of options. I'm, I'm over. When you get to, to two or three <laughs> levels of a mall, I'm overwhelmed by that. But then seeing all the stores... That's that's difficult. But if you gave me a store and said, I would like anything you can find from here because I love this store, that's fun. If I'm if I'm just in one spot. If I can silo it off, then it's fun. But if not, it can be overwhelming. And then the parking. I've often talked about too many choices we have. We get overwhelmed by choice. And I just want things narrowed down to two or three things. And it's so Sometimes much easier to make one. decisions I just want that one way. Choice. Yeah. But when you have all those choices, it's overwhelming. I get it. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick 360s where you can follow us on social, and uh, you can also download the podcast if you miss in any portion of the show at any time. You can find our audio wherever you download your audio just by searching out the show. See, um, YouTube is blowing up now with shopping discussions. Yes. Tony says, I do all my shopping online. See, that I sounds even more miserable to well, me. But there are certain things you have to see. I have to see in person. Maybe you don't, Tony. There are certain things I have to see in person before purchasing said item. Uh, not everything. Uh, and then once I purchase it one time, I know what it's like. Well, we've right? talked about I hate how returning things. the Instagram algorithm has us locked in. Yeah. So I see something every day when I'm scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> I want that. So I can see that, and if I go to it, I want to buy it. I don't. I refrain from doing it. But oftentimes I'll click on the ad because I really like something I saw. But that would be the extent of my shopping. If you said, just go find this online, then uh, once again, I'm drowning in too many options and I get anxious. This was going to be a great showdown. We're going to recap week 15. But as we look ahead, there is a headline out there. It involves sports betting and how Vegas tends to know before the public. So the Christmas Eve showdown, Sunday afternoon on Fox, is Philadelphia-Dallas. This We've been leading up to this all season. But with Dallas's loss to Jacksonville and Philadelphia continuing to win 25-20 yesterday over the Chicago Bears... The line opened at Dallas minus one and a half. This is in uh, Arlington, and it has it is now at minus five. Dallas favored by five. Which the only way that line moves is if Jalen Hurts isn't playing that much. And it's I think that Vegas knows that they're thinking about sitting him for the game. They're not going to play him because they've got everything locked up. That did jump out to me when I saw that. And uh, you've been hyping this game for a while, Hutton. I'm excited to see it. I wasn't expecting Dallas to lose. That Dallas loss to Jacksonville put a damper uh, on this game. And they the way it happened, because they got up early, Dallas did. Um, there were two I, scores at halftime. I, I thought it was over. And I picked Jacksonville uh, to, to win outright. But, man, they the way that, that uh, Trevor Lawrence is spinning it, and the rapport he has built within that offense. Um, and you can tell they're starting to get really comfortable in what they're doing. Uh, and then how they won the game in overtime with the pick six. But it wasn't it wasn't like a horrible throw by Dak Prescott. No, it, was it was a, a bad, great play. It was a bad set of circumstances. The receiver basically kind of volleyball set it yeah. for the interception. It was bad by the receiver. 
more than it was a tough throw and catch, but it was one could have been caught, and it was just a bad circumstance that led to it caroming off the receiver to the DB for the touchdown. Let's recap the the NFL weekend, and let's just start with with Saturday and the largest comeback in NFL history, the greatest comeback we've seen. Down thirty three nothing, the Vikings come back and win, and win thirty nine thirty six late in overtime where I think we're headed for another tie and the Vikings pull it off to where they can now claim they've pulled off the greatest comeback. And what a, we'll have some audio, I believe later in the show on uh, the locker room uh, speech from O'Connell, but O'Connell, keep in mind, O'Connell was with the Rams whenever Tampa Bay in the postseason pulled the comeback with Brady almost pulled it off and then led the return score to win it and he was with an offense that year last year they were the first team to win the Super Bowl that got there by winning throughout the playoffs by three points and tight tight games he's now 10 and 0 as head coach in one possession games for the Minnesota Vikings I don't think that's a coincidence and I, I think he has figured out the algorithm, since we'll use that to talk about shop, the algorithm for this Vikings offense to where they don't feel like they're ever truly out of it based on the playmakers they have. And despite how bad Kirk Cousins was playing in that first half, Chad, this is a team that with Jefferson and Thielen finally getting his first catch in the second half when they pulled the comeback and just finding ways to get Dalvin Cook the football. Madison can certainly run it as well out of the backfield. And defensively, they've got to find more consistency. But this is a team that, I mean, I wouldn't put them up there with Cincinnati as a team I wouldn't want to play. Um, I don't. I would rather play the Vikings than the 49ers right now, even with Brock Purdy. Um, but to me, this is also a team that can get hot and get on a roll. And they did that over the final two quarters in overtime. Yeah, what really impressed me too, um, but Dalvin Cook, we know, is very good. And 17 carries for 95 yards. But him in the, the, the receiving game, four catches for another 95 for Dalvin Cook. K.J. Osborne, 10 catches, 157 yards, Speedster. and a touchdown. Yeah. And then just, I mean, you combine that. That's how you get back in a game down 33 nothing. Combine 22 catches for... 280 yards between Osborne and Jefferson in that game. When they had to get cooking, it was those guys doing the cooking for the Vikings. It, it, that, that's an impressive team that does have quick strike ability and can get back in a game. But we can sit here and argue about are they lucky or are they just really good in close game settings. I think, Hutton, when you're that good in one-score games, it's probably a little bit of both. But what outweighs it is that you're good in those situations. I don't think you just chalk it up to luck. But you can find and say, a way. oh, they're a fraud and they're the luckiest team. I don't buy that. I think if you're looking at what is the ratio of good in those moments versus luck, there is some luck involved. But when you're as good as the Vikings are in close games and winning that way, yeah. I think it's more 80-20 good in those situations as opposed to luck. And I saw a lot of that in this game on Saturday. It is the war of attrition, and that's what's happening with the Baltimore Ravens because they've got to get Lamar Jackson back. Um, this game was misery. It, it was. It, it even, I mean, even Justin Tucker, Mr. Consistency, Pro Football Hall of Famer to be, is missing field goals in this game, something you don't see. Um, and, you know, the bewilderment on the, on the face of John Harbaugh in this game, uh, also something you don't normally see. 
Meanwhile, Cleveland picks up a win, 13-3, in a, a week where this is Baltimore had a layup here. In the snow, they're, they're kind of grinded out game, low scoring. Get two touchdowns. Couldn't get it. And now Cincinnati's going to control the North. Baltimore continues to scramble because they've got to get Jackson back in the mold. Well, if you would have told me that J.K. Dobbins had 13 carries for 125 yards in this game, I would have told you that, oh, well, Baltimore probably played their style. And even yeah. with Tyler Huntley, won 14 to 10 in this game. But losing 13 to 3 against a, a Browns offense that still is just not much with Deshaun Watson, 18 for 28, 161, and a touchdown for Watson. Not good enough. Th- this was the weak link of what could have been just the most unbelievable Saturday of NFL football we've ever witnessed with that NFL Network triple header. Uh, it's a great point because the Bills and Dolphins delivered. Um, the weather, all, all of the circumstances. The, the snowballs being thrown in live action was just one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed. And then the snow at the end of the game. Well, at first I thought, you know, I'm, I'm watching, I'm thinking, was a flag thrown? Because I saw something come flying in Uh-oh. at a Dolphins player. I'm thinking, oh, those are snowballs. <laughs> so when they got down close to the end zone and the Dolphins were thrown into the end zone, I mean, they're getting pelted with snowballs in that end zone. And I know that an announcement was made to the crowd, but for a while it was just accepted as fact that, hey, you're going to get hit but with snowballs when you come down on this end. It was awesome to see. A two-minute warning playing the, you know, the, the Christmas music and NFL Network sticking with it. I, I the whole thing was really, really great. And Buffalo hitting the field goal as time expires. But Josh Allen um, finding a way to drive down the field to get the game tied up. And then you have the game-winning field goal. And also keep in mind, um, Tua had possession midway through the fourth as well. A chance to answer. And, and didn't do it. They give the football back. And then we see the drive that, that ends up winning it. Allen delivers in the fourth quarter. And they, they're turning it over some. They're not as consistent as maybe what we saw to begin the season. But I do think this is a this is a team that truly believes in their 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 big stars. And while they're down Von Miller, they know they have the guy, both in the pass and the run. He added what, 77 yards rushing, I believe. And this is now their fourth game winning drive this season. You put the ball in his hands, he's going to get points. And He's also going to take advantage of the clock and milk it down to where you have no time left to do anything. A couple of observations weather-wise. The snow didn't come until late in the game. Um, I thought the Bills crowd got louder as the snow started falling harder late in the game, which was cool. Um, Quarterbacks are, to me, way smarter about how to handle the elements. Um, Keeping their hands warm, they put the slits in the jersey Mm -hmm. so they can put their hands in. But I thought both Tua and Josh Allen were remarkably unaffected by a driving snow. When Josh Allen got the ball with the Bills, and that first pass to Diggs on that drive, that was perfect. And he, I mean, even the receiver, Diggs, diving to the turf, yes. no problem with slipping, you know, getting the, the catch. I, I was blown away by their ability to play right through that and not just run the ball, but continue and- to run their offense, continue to run their passing game. Two at times late in the game, if you noticed, I mean, he was completely bundled up. Just his eyes were showing on the sideline where he's trying to stay warm while he's sitting on the sideline. I think in those situations, it is important not to be, especially for the quarterback, the tough guy with no sleeves on and make sure you're doing what you need to to keep your hands warm enough 
when you get back on the field. Guys are smarter about that now. Yeah, I'm with you on Tua. I thought he played well. He was spinning the football, too, in that he has not performed well results-wise in the cold. This was a game that midway through the fourth, I thought they were going to handle. I thought the Dolphins were going to win this game and return as uh, with more return to Miami with more answers on Tua and the fact he can go on the road and win this type of game. Um, instead, they lose. They're currently the seventh seed based on the playoffs as of today because the Chargers bump up to six with their win, and they have the head-to-head against Miami from week 14. Three weeks to play, though, uh, and the way the Patriots lost, the Dolphins, they're getting in. This is the yeah. team that, to me, is not going to slip out of the postseason. And it's a very good team. I mean, they they had a great chance to pull off the upset on the road. We'll get to the uh, Sunday matchups from uh, week 15. It, coming up later in the show. When we come back, Brad Crawford's going to join us, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, and uh, we'll discuss the the portal craziness. Bowl season is upon us, and we're about to get into the heart of the better matchups, at least the perceived, Chad, better matchups. we got a bowl game going on right now, Huddin. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give the scoreboard update on that as well. Brad Crawford next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. About to talk some college football, but uh, first, an update on quarterback Jalen Hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he suffered a sprained shoulder in yesterday's game against the Bears. He did finish the game, and he threw a 68-yard touchdown pass to A.J. Brown, but that's why we saw the Vegas line move to five. Cowboys favored by five on Christmas Eve. The Gardner Minshew show, Chad. I mean, but Hutton, you said it during the break. Vegas always they knows. They always know first, yeah. They all they They knew. They knew right away. Brad Crawford joins us. I bet he knew before we did. Brad Crawford of uh, CB, uh, CBS. He could have broken the news on our show Maybe we so. asked him about it. Maybe he, so. he knew all along. Uh, Brad, how are you, man? Good to see you. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me today. Craziest story you've heard in the portal since it opened a couple of weeks ago. I'll give you a story about a guy that did not enter the portal but got crazy offers to do so. UNC quarterback Drake May. One of our guys reported today that Two schools offered him $4 million for the 2023 season had he left the Tar Heels and probably gone to an SEC program. So good of Mac Brown to convince him to stay in Chapel Hill. But, man, they're they're paying a premium right now, big-time programs on elite quarterbacks. That's that's the amazing part of this. You know, we talk so much about the five star, you know, freshmen that are incoming. But when you can go get a proven yeah. commodity for any of these programs, say, well, I know what Drake May looks like in college. You don't really know until the five star gets on campus. Two programs I want to ask you about, though, Brad, that have been hit pretty hard by the transfer portal so far. That that surprises me because of what we assume about their culture within the program. South yeah. Carolina under Shane Beamer. Arkansas under Sam Pittman. If you ask me to define two really strong programs with a strong culture that's fun, but also they know what type of players they want and what they're getting, I would say those two programs, and especially with South Carolina finishing the season as strong as they did, what what is going on with those two programs and some of the transfers we've seen leave? 
Yeah, starting with the Gamecocks, man, it, it surprises me as well, being a close follower of of that program, you know, knowing a lot of that staff personally. I mean, this is a Gamecocks team that humiliated Tennessee, knocked them out of the playoff race with a 63 points second and last week of the season. Then they ended Clemson's 40-game home winning streak. Really, you're talking about a program with more momentum than it's had in more than a decade since Spurrier's, you know, three consecutive 11-2 and two top 10 finishes and then the Gamecocks have a couple decommitments this week. They lose Jaheim Bell and Marshawn Lloyd to the portal, two starters who are going to be, you know, early round picks, upcoming NFL draft. So I think for Shane Beamer and his staff, they're surprised right now. And a lot of it has to do with NIL. You know, South Carolina, it's it's not a surprise that the Gamecocks are behind other SEC programs in that category. And I think in Jaheim Bell's case, you know, outgoing OC Marcus Satterfield did not give him the football half the season. I think they tried to make up for it in November, you know, pushing him from tight end to running back, but it just didn't matter. And then at Arkansas, I mean, no program in college football, fellas, has had a worse two weeks than the Hogs. You lose Barry Odom to UNLV. You lose Dow Loggins, your tight ends coach, to South Carolina as their new OC. And Sam Pittman came out yesterday during his first availability of December and just said, you know, for the guys that left us and entered the portal, we pretty much don't want them back. So, you know, right now those two coaches, you know, entering their their third seasons at Arkansas and South Carolina, they are struggling right now, and that's not the only staffs. So, I mean, right right now there's a ton of college football staffs that are just extremely frustrated with this new recruiting calendar and just how difficult December becomes. Yeah, and, and it's it's tough to make any, you know, sweeping judgments about teams based on the start mm-hmm. also because they could – in the next transfer portal window in spring, they could they could rack up with players. We don't know how it's going to end. We know how it's going right now at Florida, and it's not good with that current roster. They get blown out by Oregon State. They're doing well in recruiting. Brad, how are they doing in the transfer portal, and just how extensive is this rebuild for Billy Napier? Yeah, I think watching the Las Vegas Bowl over the weekend, you kind of saw a team that you know, was ready for that game to be over with before it started and get back to recruiting. Florida right now, as of a few hours ago, I think has a number 11 class in the country for 2023. Obviously, Anthony Richardson declared for the draft. Then you have Jalen Kitten got dismissed. So Florida started a third-string quarterback with essentially no collegiate reps against Oregon State, and you saw what happened. The team, you know, really, really struggled there. But Billy Napier, if he can secure a top-10 class, a couple guys maybe – Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina quarterback. I know Napier had him on campus recently. They're they're trying to get him. Uh, some other schools in line for him, maybe Auburn and Hugh Freeze. So Florida needs a plug-and-play quarterback for next season, and they're not going to get it in the 2023 class with Rashada. He's not going to be a true freshman starter. So I think they have to go portal quarterback. And Florida's a team that if they don't have good quarterback play next season, I mean, look, it's probably another 6-6 six and six type season. Brad Crawford with us, 24-7 Sports. How surprising is it to you that Alabama doesn't have a single player sitting out of their bowl game against Kansas State? I was telling a co-worker this morning, I don't know how Nick Saban always does this, outside of the fact that Bama's usually in the playoff. Um, you know, unless Bryce Young and Will Anderson maybe have something in their NIL contract that us media types haven't seen where they have to finish the season to get paid, you know, it, it really speaks to Nick Saban's culture within those walls. You know, as, as the season was going on, all you heard kind of off the field associated with Bama was, you know, which of these two coordinators 
Um, Bill O'Brien or Pete Golding was going to be replaced. Neither has so far. Maybe we see that after the early signing period. But, you know, right now, I mean, Bama heads into the Sugar Bowl with what looks to be a, a full arsenal. And that's why you've seen that spread go from, you know, Bama minus two and a half to I think it's a touchdown now where Bryce Young and Will Anderson really want to put a exclamation part on this uh, Bama career. Both of these wins will be impactful if both of these teams get it for the scenario I'm going to throw out. And I'm normally not on board with a, a bowl win carries over for momentum. But yeah. more, more impactful on the positive sense, Brad. South Carolina beating Notre Dame with the way they finished the season or Tennessee knocking off Clemson and getting some sense of who Joe Milton can be. Not what he's been, but who he can be. Yeah, I think Tennessee having a chance to finish potentially inside the top five. You know, depending on how these playoff games go, we, we've seen since the playoff era started, most of these semifinal games are three touchdown, you know, lopsided affairs. So if if you see TCU get blown out, Ohio State get blown out, Tennessee with a backup quarterback and really their their second and third string wideouts, they go down to Miami and beat Clemson by by a pretty good margin, then Tennessee's probably finishing eleven and two inside the top five. At least that's that's where my vote would go. So I think it's huge for Josh Heupel as far as you know uh, closing out this twenty twenty three recruiting cycle. I know most of the Vol signees will will finish things up this week, but there's going to be some portal guys maybe that may look at Tennessee because everybody I've talked to through NIL, Tennessee is a top five program right now in terms of you know, what those collectives in Knoxville can can give incoming players. So I think Tennessee's a team that maybe more so than South Carolina, based on NIL, can end this season with considerably more momentum heading into 2023 spring. And I think Josh Heupel will get a bonus if he wins that New Year's Six Bowl game, and I believe he might get another one with a top-five finish. So it could be a very profitable game for yeah. Josh Heupel if, like you said, they finish the top five with that win over Clemson. Um, I, it was profitable for a bunch of freshmen in College Station this year, but nothing profitable for Aggies fans on the field this season. What a disastrous year after what has been heralded as, as maybe the best in terms of rankings, recruiting class in history. And now, Brad, we see all those guys hitting the transfer portal. What do you do to reset right now if you're Jimbo Fisher? And are they in need of a complete reset? Or can they tweak a few things and just – keep things rolling back to where they were a couple of years ago at Texas A&M. Yeah, I think A&M's had 26 defections since the season ended. Uh, somehow beat LSU in that finale. I don't I don't know how that yeah. happened. Texas A&M should have finished 4-8 and eight this year, but really, really played out of their mind for the first time in three months. But, yeah, you know, A&M was a team that I think started number seven, I want to say, preseason. I, I didn't have them inside the top 10. I thought they were a top 20 team because of talent, because of NIL, because of last year's recruiting class. That that was the highest rated class ever, according to all of our 24-7 sports insiders. And it just did not show up this season. This team was not tough at the line of scrimmage. I think quarterback play for AM outside of Kellen Mond has not been all that great under Jimbo Fisher. That's a major issue that, that needs to be corrected. And, you know, Jimbo has to shrink that, 72-page stack of papers he has of what he calls a playbook. I mean, he has to kind of give that up a little bit, let somebody else come in there and, and fix things offensively. Because right now, on, on third down, AM was, as you guys mentioned, horrid this season. And, and it really showed in some of those uh, bad early season losses. The team did look a little bit better down the stretch. They, they play with some pride. But um, A&M's a team that, that needs all the talent 
it can to stay in College Station. And I think that's off the quarterback play. They they have to be better under center next season to be a legitimate national title contender. Well, Brad, not only because of the money, and I'm always going to think Texas A&M first, that's who I thought of when you mentioned Drake May and the $4 million yeah. offer. I don't know. It, again, it could be multiple SEC programs. I, I know that. I, w- I would throw Bama and Georgia in, in that mix too. That would not be bad going from Bryce How, Young to uh, to Drake May well, if you were but I'm, I'm also I'm also thinking like who would he turn down? I, if I'm Drake May, I'm not turning down Georgia or Alabama. And 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 I I know for a fact UNC did did not match those reported offers. So uh, Drake May's family is is big time UNC. I know that that family is well to do. Yeah, Drake May doesn't need the money, and you know he's <laughs> he's pretty much a top five lock for 2024. So. Um, it it would have been very interesting though to see him against a tougher schedule to see if those numbers would have indeed flourished again. Is there a program outside of the SEC? You know, we spend so much time looking at how active the SEC is with the transfer portal because the money involved with the boosters and everyone in, involved in that conference. Is there a program though outside of the SEC right now that y- you circle and say they're really getting it done and they have a great NIL strategy? mixed with a good recruiting coaching staff that knows how to work the portal. I'll throw one example out there with what Michigan has done mm. so far. Is that a program to watch in terms of mastering the portal? I'll give you one more surprising Big Ten team that I think will be national title caliber maybe three years from now. That's Nebraska. NIL at Nebraska is is top five, and I think Nebraska made, maybe along with Wisconsin, the home run hire of this cycle – you know, getting Matt Rule to uh, after he was fired from the Panthers to to come down. So, I think Matt Rule is going to be a guy that you know he 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 has shown at Baylor that he can develop three stars into premier you know power five starters. And now through NIL, something he didn't have at Baylor. As long as this stuff doesn't get regulated, he's going to be able to kind of pick and choose guys that he wants to have on campus. They they hosted several four stars over the weekend that that may be signing day flips. So that's something to watch. And then then Ohio State just lost one of the top 2024 five-star quarterbacks, Dylan Riola, and the rumor is around our uh, organization is Nebraska's is uh, kind of the front runner there for him. So if they're able to land a five-star quarterback next cycle, then you're going to see a lot of people jumping on Nebraska's wagon, and I think it's warranted. Brad Crawford with us, 24-7 Sports. How quickly has Hugh Freeze jumped into the portal from what you've seen at Auburn, Brad, and um, how quickly can he improve that roster based on what we've seen even Lane Kiffin do uh, from two years ago to last year? Yeah, I think Auburn badly needs a running back um, after losing Tank Bigsby. And if I was a running back right now looking for another landing spot, I mean, Hugh Freeze's offense throws me the football. You know, it, it's a it's a run-heavy and quarterback-friendly scheme. I'd, I'd be excited playing that. And I'm a little bit surprised that Hugh Freeze has tapped the portal and gotten some of these transfer quarterbacks on the planes for visits because Robbie Ashford, I mean, you guys have watched, you know, Auburn football this season in, in spots, he's a really good player. And Hugh freeze is known as a quarterback whisperer of sorts who can develop guys. And I think they should move forward with, you know, Robbie Ashford as, as QB one, but it sounds like, you know, they're, they're still interested in Grayson McCall, coastal Carolina quarterback. I think they've had Devin and Leary NC state quarterback on campus. So I think Hugh freeze can maybe win seven to eight games next season. If he implements this thing quickly and I think it was the right, uh, uh, you know, hire for Auburn. Probably not from a PR standpoint. A lot of questions to still ask there. But, I mean, Hugh Freeze has beaten Nick Saban twice, and he did it at Ole Miss. So, with better talent and more money at Auburn, 
you guys can put two and two together. Well, yep. and Ashford reminds me of Malik Willis. You talked about what Hugh Freeze has done. I think that's a reasonable comp of what he had at Liberty. So that does surprise me a bit that he might not just he, – he may end up still rolling with him, though. And, Chad, you said that um, he just they just offered Dilfer's quarterback in high school, right? Yeah, so uh, Hank well, Brown. Hank Brown, yeah. So Hank Brown from Lipscomb Academy, Hutton and I had his state championship game on TV, was just yeah. now offered as of today by, by Hugh Freeze. He was committed to Liberty – Hutton and I immediately said, oh, he'll follow his high school coach now to UAB instead of going to Liberty, but now he may have a chance to play in the SEC. And I think Liberty's new head coach, Jamie Chadwell, from Coastal, thought he was going to land Grayson McCall, but now that Auburn and Florida have jumped in the picture, I think it's down to those two you know, for the former Coastal quarterback. So it's it's crazy, guys. I mean, th- this month has been just not, not only coaching carousel, but it's been quarterback carousel and NIL and – Coaches trying to uh, re-recruit their own players who are, you know, are already on roster. It's just, it's a it's a wild time right now. Free agency. I mean, it it, it really is what it is. When we're recapping signing day later, uh, Brad, is there a coach or a program that you think we're going to say, well, they really jumped out and maybe not surprised us, but they've improved to a level we didn't expect. I, I think Colorado and Florida State are going to be big winners this week. Maybe ask that question Friday morning, two days after signing day. I think both of those schools are going to get some flips this week. Uh, Florida State's a team that has incredible momentum. You, you remember last early signing period, losing, uh, you know, Travis Hunter, five-star, to Jackson State. That was the gem of Mike Norvell's class. And so they they recovered their top 20 class. And then they won nine games this season, five straight to end it. And they have Jordan Travis coming back. So if I'm Travis Hunter, if if Mike Norvell offers me and maybe gives me an opportunity to play both sides of the ball, I mean, Jordan Travis is a good quarterback. Or you can, you know, go to Colorado like everybody expects and play with Shador Sanders. So I think it'll be interesting. But but Prime and FSU are going to have big weeks. How many doors are open for Sanders, for Dion now at Colorado, that were not open just based on Jackson State and that level of play? Yeah, I think a lot of Jackson State fans, at, at least ones who have emailed me and, and you know, asked me to – talk to Dion about certain things. They're they're just upset that maybe he didn't finish what he promised when he when he started. Uh knowing knowing Dion, he was never going to be a first time college coach under somebody. He didn't want to be an assistant coach. He took Jackson State job because that was a chance to be a head coach. He was eleven and zero this year before losing his first game and he really turned that program around in, in just a couple years. I think he'll do the same at Colorado, but you're not going to see any double digit win seasons. Uh, Colorado right now, I don't think has the money to just, you know, buy through NIL a complete new roster. And looking at the 2023 schedule for the Buffaloes, there, there's probably three or four games where Colorado might be favored, and the other eight, they're a double-digit dog. So I think Dion has his work cut out for him. But, you know, we saw Lincoln Riley quickly in year one turn things around rather fast at USC. Dion's not going to have that level of success. But I think getting to a bowl game in 2023 is realistic for Colorado. There's been a long-standing feud between Texas and Tennessee about who is the real UT between the UT and the Burn Orange. I went to Tennessee, so I, you know my answer to that question. But now there's a debate brewing about Arch Manning versus Nico Iamaleava in terms of the rankings kind of flipping back and forth uh, with those two guys and who's going to have the better college career when you look at both those guys as recruits we all know the Manning name we know the lineage we know how good he was in high school how good he could be 
What does the upside look like for Nico at Tennessee under Josh Heupel, and how would you compare the two quarterbacks? I think Nico is in a much better scheme fit, friendly system for quarterbacks. Um, I think Hendon Hooker should have been a Heisman finalist this season, but I don't necessarily think Hendon Hooker would have been a elite quarterback in a you know pro style system, a a spread system. This is a perfect system for for Nico's talent level. Uh, I think he's going to put up really good numbers early in his career. And for Arch Manning, while while he's a great player and, and the you know highlight tape shows it, he's got a lot to live up to. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be in a greater spotlight than Nico will Texas entering the SEC probably in uh, two seasons from now when Arch is likely the starter as a sophomore once once Quinn Ewers leaves. So I think that there's just tons of pressure on Arch Manning, and it's always difficult to live up to being the number one player in the country in your class. I mean, very, very few number one overall players do that, and I think maybe, maybe Tua was the last one to do so. So I think there's just immense pressure on Arch, and if, if I'm him, uh, you know, he's kind of been signed to be the Texas savior, right? So anything less than 10 and 2 when he's a starter, and it's probably a failure in in Austin. So that's, that's a ton of pressure on that kid. Yeah, and just putting a, a, a wrap on this, uh, to your point there on, on Arch Manning, it, he faces so much pressure to live up to, guys. But at the same time, any Manning in the spotlight typically lives up to expectation. Like they... If you think yeah. about any situation, those guys typically meet the bar. They meet the criteria that we hold them to, fair or unfair. Well, and he seems to be about the right things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that family and Arch, like they, he's handled he's it as kid, professional yeah. as a 17, 18-year-old kid could in these circumstances. I think so, too. And, and I mean, you know, you don't, you don't want to be the recruiting organization that, that puts Arch Manning number eight overall versus number one, and then he goes and – has three incredible years for the Longhorns, brings him back to prominence. And then, you know, mo- most analysts I've spoke to think that his ceiling is obviously number one overall pick. And I don't know if we're saying the same thing about Nico, but I think when it's all said and done, both those guys are going to put up great numbers in college. But Nico's system under Josh Heupel, that, I mean, it just it just screams production, right? Follow Brad on social at bcrawford247. Brad Crawford has been our guest, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports as well. Brad, thank you for the time, man. Great insight, and uh, enjoy the coverage this week. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, great insight. And um, we will certainly be checking back in with him throughout the more recruiting uh, process and, and more bowl game action as well throughout the, the bowl season. Uh, we've got some, some Vegas odds to get to with the notable injuries across the NFL coming up, Chad. It includes the MVP favorite right now. Hey, speaking of bowl season, we got a bowl game going on right now. Hutton, it's your favorite game, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. It's there. Hutton's a big fan of the yep. Myrtle Beach Bowl. It's 21 nothing Marshall over UConn okay. with 12.44 left in the third. I think Marshall was an 11.5-point favorite coming into this game. They're handling business right double now. Double the spread. The Thundering Herd double the spread. are looking to even more than double that spread. Coming up, notable NFL injuries from Week 15 as teams start to try to Close out the season on a high note. Some of their best players really banged up. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Notable injuries across the NFL start with the MVP favorite right now. Well, maybe not right now. We'll get to that. But with Jalen Hurts, sprained shoulder, suffered late in the game against the Chicago Bears. He did finish the game, but now his status for this coming week against Dallas is uncertain. Uh, chances are, based on all this, he's not going to play uh, with the lead that the, the Eagles certainly have and uh, the top seed and the way they've been playing. They need to make sure that he's ready to go for the postseason. It is not a collarbone injury that has been floated out there. Jordan Schultz reporting that it is not a collarbone issue that is a, a sprained shoulder and that they're going to do everything necessary to make sure he gets the, the necessary rest to be ready for, for playoffs. But here's where it really affects everything. So now it has flipped from this morning. Jalen Hurts was the Vegas favorite for NFL MVP. It has already flipped to Patrick Mahomes who is now minus 225, and Hertz was like plus 180 this morning. And that injury alone, Vegas is saying, is going to, uh, odd, odds are, keep him from being able to play a couple of games, and that's where Mahomes will take over and win MVP. So beyond just on the field, off the field awards with this uh, will be affected. And and certainly Gardner Minshew is, is, is capable of playing well, but this is the guy that makes the it gives the gasoline to the engine that is full of plenty of horsepower. I would still bet on Jalen Hurts, especially now the odds are swinging against him. I think now would be a good time to still bet on him for NFL MVP. The uh, other injuries uh, of note, Chad, we've got Justin Fields, who uh, was just, according to reports, just cramping up in that game. Uh, nothing serious. Travis Etienne with an ankle issue, as well as Austin Eckler, who had an ankle issue but came back into the game yesterday against the Titans. Justin Jefferson, uh, he checked out during the Saturday game, came back in and still performed at a very high level uh, after having a, a chest injury. And Jonathan Taylor left the game. He played just two snaps uh, against the Vikings and then suffered an ankle injury. And Colt McCoy with a concussion. Of course, they were already down uh, Kyler Murray. Now Colt McCoy in concussion protocol. So Trace McSorley who was fighting for the backup job in the preseason in Arizona, now with the Cardinals group that's been eliminated from postseason play. Uh, he is the guy right now in Arizona. Ryan Tannehill left the game yesterday against the Chargers, was carted off to the locker room to have his ankle retaped. Um, whenever he was carted off, we thought he was done for the day. But uh, it has been, a, a, been an issue. It is, uh, continues to be an issue for the Titans quarterback that they need. He is put, putting them in position... Uh, albeit not to score points, but putting them in position to at least keep drives alive and at least not turn the football over. And at a minimum, he is going six for six on the final drive for Tennessee to get that game tied where ultimately Justin Herbert takes over and they kick the game-winning field goal. And if you think, oh, we came back in the game, he'll be fine, he'll play next week. This happened earlier this year against Indianapolis yeah. and he missed the next two games. With injury, even though he came back in that game and played, Hud, my question would be if this is setting up to be a win and end scenario at the end of the year with Jacksonville, do you rest him 
and get him as healthy as possible for that game and roll with Malik Willis against the Texans, who he's already beaten. He did nothing in the game right. to beat them, but they won because of their defense, and they won in Houston. So you play Malik Willis in this game and against the Cowboys and then get Tannehill back for the season finale? Uh, Is that something the Titans are thinking about? I, w- I would be thinking that way because I, I find it very difficult to not see Jacksonville with an opportunity to punch their ticket to the playoffs as AFC South champion based on the way the Titans are playing and based on the scenario here. So what has to happen? The Titans need to win two games and they need Jacksonville to lose one game. That If that happens, the Titans are the AFC South champs. But because they continue to lose and Jacksonville beat them head-to-head in Week 14, and of course they beat Dallas, the Titans lost to the Chargers... What's that? The, the, the Jags are now one game behind the Titans for the AFC South lead. They hold the tiebreaker right yep. now over the Titans with the head-to-head win. And their upcoming schedule, they have the Jets on Thursday. Then they have the Texans before finishing with the Titans. The Titans have Houston, who's playing very well over the last two games, two weeks, against top competition, Dallas and Kansas City. This Titans team isn't beating that Houston team that we've seen over the last two weeks. And... Then they have the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday night, followed by the game in Jacksonville. It's difficult to not see Week 18 and the playoff being on the being line, on the line in Jacksonville. There. Yeah, and if if they have the head-to-head, the one thing that they can't do is they need Jacksonville to lose, but they also Jacksonville they they need one of their two wins to be against Tennessee. If they're going to lose one, they need to beat the Titans head-to-head. And they're certainly capable of it. We've seen it once before. And the AFC South is extremely interesting all of a sudden. Headlines next, including the crazy scene at the World Cup.